Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, September 27, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 25th are following for the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,432. That's one. 5432. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,433. That's 15433. This morning, A Vision for You presents either God is everything or else He is nothing. Powerless. In step one, we find complete despair, frustration, and bewilderment. Utter defeat. The mental obsession condemns us to pick up that first bite when we don't want to. And the phenomenon of craving condemns us to continue eating once we start. Again and again and again and again. We have no choice. Our efforts, our energy, and our desire have not delivered the hoped-for results. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. In step two, we are given the solution. Our situation is not hopeless. Far from it. There is hope, but that hope lies outside ourselves. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power other and greater than ourselves. The big book turns up the heat on page 53 by reminding us about our step one experience, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, that we have no power and we are going to live miserably. So we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. Either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? We are left with no wiggle room, no fallback position. Joining us today to share her experience, strength, and hope is Carmela G a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Carmela is a loyal member of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you and is dedicated to our 12-step way of life. And it's with great appreciation and a delight to welcome Carmela G. to the line. Good morning, Carmela. Good morning, Leah, and thank you so much. Thank you for your dedicated service and all who make this meeting possible. And for everyone that is on this line and dials in every single day and hears the instructions in our book. As you all know, I'm on the East Coast. I'm Carmela G. from New York. And um, my New York accent gives that away very readily. Um, I I want to begin with a prayer that I um, have 
thought would be most appropriate because it's something that in my disease I was seeking, seeking, seeking and never realized. So um, I'm going to pause a moment and begin with this prayer. O Spirit of love, greatest gift we can receive. You bring the strength that makes us strong and the gentleness that makes us gracious. Well, my journey, my birth journey was I was born in 1945, so I will soon be 75 years old. I was the youngest of three siblings and the only girl. But in reality, that gave me the foundation for being a spoiled brat. In reality, I was the youngest of 10 because my widowed aunt came to live with my parents and my three siblings with her seven children. So being the youngest of 10 children, they encouraged my self-centeredness. I was the center of the universe, and I was the center of the universe for 67 years, so I thought, in disease. Um, I was willful, and even prior to my birth, I was willful. My poor mother never made it into the delivery room because I was a precipitous delivery, and I delivered outside of the delivery room. So I was self-willed from the time in utero. Interesting, because my mom was a very loving woman, and she was very fond of feeding me healthy food. She fed all of us healthy, nutritious meals. And she told me that once I was able to choose, see that word, choose, my own food, I began to just go for the sweets. There was nothing she could do to stop me. So my problem began at a very young age. But that was not my problem. That was my solution. And what was I looking for? Oh, With all this family, I wanted to be the be-all and end-all. I couldn't get enough of love, and I was well-loved by all the members of my family, my immediate family and my extended family. Ooh, I was the pampered pooch, and I just needed more, more and more and more. And I was a chubby little girl. So at around the age six to seven, mom took my brother and I to the doctor for our physical and a nutritionist to help us with our healthy meal plans. And the doctor looked at my brother and he said to my mom, he's going to be okay. Now remember, I was only about six or seven, but I do remember this vividly and I remember my reaction. 
And he looked at me and he said, but her, she's going to be fat all her life. And my gut reaction, as you well know, how an addict reacts with reality, I wanted to stick my tongue out and thumb my nose, thumb my finger to my nose at him. But I knew that was not the respectful thing to do. So I just stood there and took it and let it pierce my heart. And I was angry. So what did I need? I needed a sweet to soothe the savage beast and the anger in the child. So life goes on and I continue being willful. My oldest brother gets married and here I am a child that is loved by all, and I'm sitting. My parents are visiting my brother and his new bride in their apartment, and I'm seething. I was about 10 or 11 at this point, and I'm saying, huh, I could disappear and they wouldn't even notice. So you see, those personality traits were all inside of me. But yet, if you looked at the outside... I was such a cute little girl. Oh, she's so cute. People would pinch my chubby cheeks. If only she would lose a little weight, she'd be beautiful. Well, I didn't. I continued to get chubby, and by the age of 13, I realized I wanted to be a nurse. So now, It begins, the revelation. I applied to nursing. My grades were great. Oh, because I was type A. You know, I had to be the best. And I applied, expecting to be welcomed with open arms. I mean, everybody should welcome me because I'm so wonderful. Well, That was in 1963, and things were a little different in those days. And Carmela received a blow. I was rejected. Why? Too fat. So that's the second blow. The first, the doctor saying I was going to be fat all my life. The next, rejection from my ability to have the career that I wanted. So, as a powerful young woman, I went on a crash diet, and I lost the weight, and I got into another school. I reapplied, and I got in. And I survived the education. But more fears popped up during that time because I never realized that I was going to deal with people's lives and that I, I had to help them and I had to be there when they needed me. And suppose I made a mistake. Oh, no, I couldn't do that, God. What am I going to do? So we had a family wedding and I was in my first year of nursing school and I was 17 And at this wedding, 
I found a substance, a substance that I thought would help me get over my fear. And I got drunk. And I blacked out. And my oldest brother had to load me up in the car and get me out of there and get me home because he didn't want my parents to be so mortified with his drunken sister. Well, the next morning when I woke up, I truly knew alcohol was not my drug of choice. I liked my food instead. So that was the last time I ever used alcohol, the first and last. Fortunately, I did graduate, and I graduated with honors, and I had a fabulous career open up. I was a success. As Bill would say, I had arrived. I would come home from my new job, and I would open up all the cabinets and shove all the sweets in my mouth. And my mother would say, oh, Carmela, dinner will be ready shortly. And I'd say, oh, Mom, I just need to relieve a little stress. It was a tough day, and in went the food. And I'd say, don't worry, I'll have dinner as well. And so I did, because I had no bottom, none whatsoever. My appetite was insatiable. How could I consume so much food? But I could, and I was soothing. It had to soothe me and soothe me, and my need got worse and worse. My brother, my oldest brother had six children, and his daughter got married, and she and I were pretty much closer in age than I was to my oldest brother, and um, she was 10 years my junior. So while I was working, and at the age of 20, she married and had a beautiful baby boy. And I was privileged as a nurse to attend her delivery. And then she had a second boy 18 months later, and I attended that delivery. And that gave me the authority to be Madam Full Charge in everybody's life because I had education and I had a career. And don't you know what I know? Well, unfortunately, my niece developed a severe depression uh, related to having the two children. So I was gifted with the oldest boy, and her mom took the baby. And we lived in the same house at this time. And um, she lived downstairs with the baby, and I was upstairs with my parents and the older boy. He was a gift. I raised him with the assistance of my mom, and um, she would take care of him during the day, and then I'd have the joy of seeing him when I'd get home from work. Well, at the age of three, 
my mom died um, when the boy was three, and um, I was in my early 30s, and uh, it was devastating. So she died young, and I learned to accept it because I had my job and I had to carry on. And Dad was retired, so he took over the care of the boys while I continued to work, and my niece was getting better. I found that the stress level was getting a little bit too much, so I had to ramp up my eating. And then the personality disorders as described in the big book. The raging was starting. My short fuse. I was becoming very ugly. I tried various diets. Nothing worked. The boys were growing. They were back with their mom, and they would still have a connection with me, and they lived nearby, and they were a joy in my life. They went off to college. Dad and I had a beautiful relationship. He allowed his support allowed me to get advanced degrees and he took care of everything that anyone would need to run a household, the cleaning, the shopping. And all of a sudden, dad had a stroke. The boys are in college. I'm getting overwhelmed. Life is getting more difficult. Fortunately, I was able to hire two women who I knew from the hospital to care for Dad so I could continue in my career and I could keep him home and allow him to have his care at home. And that lasted for five years. Once he died, I thought, well, I have no responsibility now. The boys are grown. I can relocate wherever I want, and I bought a new apartment in Manhattan. And that was going to be my geographic location. It was going to change my life, don't you know? Well, as we all know, through the book, doesn't help. I had a great career. I have a Manhattan apartment. I'm going to live the dream, as Bill would say. Well, <laughs> not my master was not going to allow that, and my master was becoming more and more needy. And I was delving in the depths of loneliness and despair. Oh, I'd sit here in this apartment and I would say, wouldn't matter. Eat yourself, Camilla. But Camilla, it's causing you so much pain. My legs were swollen. My back was aching. Oh, eat. You know you need to be soothed. And on my commute to work, I was a woman of faith, and I would do my prayers every morning because I would take public transportation, and I would commute. And the reality was 
I was praying like a robot. Sure, I knew there was a God, but I really thought I was his equal so that I could use him and dictate to him every morning of everything I wanted and needed. You see, it was all about Carmela. And I didn't realize that I was locking him in the closet. So I would take him out in the morning, give him my laundry list, and then I'd lock him up again and forget about it and live on my own self-will. So remember, our problems were of my own making. And I was trying to blame God. My career was going along. They offered me the top position in the hospital, and I refused it because I, I liked the position I was in. I liked being second in command. So after 40 years of having a beautiful, and I got the accolades I needed at work because my perfectionism was drilling into the staff, we have to be perfect, and the state health department acknowledged us, and all of the agencies acknowledged my departments, and I was walking like a peacock. But one day, walking into work, this peacock looked at the reflection, and I said, whoa, whose fat butt is that? And I knew. I was getting in trouble because I was getting fatter and fatter, and I had reached over 300 pounds. Now my facility now hired someone that I needed to report to, and she didn't know how important I was, and she wanted to be top banana. So, of course, we butt heads. And God was working in my life, and I didn't even realize it. I decided that I needed to move on. So I handed in my resignation. That resignation, and I was angry because she was taking my departments away from me. But no, it was my choice. I wanted to walk away. And the book says sometimes we have to walk away. So I was walking away from a a career that was glorious for 41 years and gave me such accolades, but also allowed me to live in my disease and to use a God that was loving me, but I didn't realize how much. So I walked away. And that decision allowed me to live. The next decision was to go and get a physical before I went on for a new job. I was 61 years old, and I felt I still had something to offer. So I thought, let me get healthy. Let me go for a physical. I haven't had one in many years because I didn't want to hear any doctor tell me, oh, How'd you get so fat? So off I went, quit job, 
New life ahead. Oh, life is wonderful. Yes, had that physical, and a week later get notified that I have cancer. And I said to the doctor, who I had known very well and worked with for over 20 years, I said, so when are you going to operate? And he said, I'm not. I said, what do you mean you're not? He said, no, 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 no. This is strike number three now, folks. Um, I'm not operating on you because I'm not going to kill you. You will not withstand six hours of radical surgery at 315 pounds. I will treat you differently. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I want the cure. And he said, I do understand. I am not going to kill you. If you want surgery, find someone else. And so I did. I found another surgeon, and he did operate. And um, the reality was, I am 12 years cancer-free. But that did not come without a price. That came instead of six weeks of recovery post-surgery that normal people have. I had three years, three years of agonizing hell. And um, I needed two more surgeries to repair all the damage from all the complications. And during those three years, I felt so alone. And when Bill talks about the loneliness and despair of what this disease does to you, that is what I felt. I felt so alone and so desperate that God had abandoned me. How, how could you have done this to me? You see, I was the victim. He, why, why? I was such a good woman. Why would you do this to me? Well, he never abandoned me. He was there waiting for me to let him out of the closet. He wanted a relationship with me. And I kept casting him aside by telling him, I have it. You just do this. That is agnostic behavior. So God continued working. And I thought I was totally abandoned. And I'm in this apartment recovering. And I have a dear friend, the aide that helped me with my dad, coming to help me because I could not help myself. I was on home care. The visiting nurse was the only one that came three times a week. I didn't want my boys coming. And I call them my boys, even though today they are men and they're married with their own children. And I had the gift of being present for their children's birth. So you're talking about a lot of gifts in this ungrateful woman's life. And um, they would visit, but I didn't want them staying here too long because I was too sick and I didn't want them seeing me like this. I was human and I didn't like it. I wanted to be divine. And the nurse, my regular nurse, had to take off 
one weekend. And I begged her not to. But you see, God was working. And she said, I have a family wedding, and I must take off. But don't worry, another nurse will fill in for me. And she will come, and she will know exactly how to take care of you. But you see, the self-will in me, no, she's not going to know how to do this dressing. I was on a machine that my whole abdomen was open, and I was on this machine to help me close, but yet I was getting septic, and I was sick and close to death. And I was so angry at God for leaving me. And she said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can work this weekend. And therefore, her relief came on Saturday, rang the doorbell, and I let her in reluctantly, but I did. And she did my dressing. And she said to me, she was a real spitfire. Now, my regular nurse was a real meek, quiet, follow-the-rules nurse. This one? was a spitfire. And she looked at me and she said, I'm calling your doctor. You're going to the hospital. You're not dying on me. And my arrogance was, you could call him, but I'm not going to the hospital. And I'm not dying. So I hope you're getting a picture of realizing how difficult it was for me to surrender. I insisted that I was not going to die, like I could control that. What a numbnut. So she calls the doctor, and you see, I was also a great manipulator. And he said, put Carmella on. And on the phone I got, and I said, doctor, as I said to everyone else, I am fine. I will see you on Monday as planned. All right, put your nurse back on. And she got on, and he said, no, she's, I, I believe her. She knows. She's educated. She knows her body. So the nurse didn't have a choice. She did the dressing, and off she went. That night, 9.30 at night, she calls. And again, the facade. She said, do you want me to come back and bring you to the hospital? What's your temp? I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, you're young. You're attractive. Go out. Enjoy. It's a Saturday night. You know, that, that false face that we put on? I said, I'll be fine. My temp's down to 102. I said, and I'll get through to the morning. No worries. So she said, please, I'm frightened. I said, no, don't be frightened. Everything's okay. And therefore, she didn't come. And the next morning, I was my usual routine. I did my robotic prayers. I'd say, but sarcastically, so what are we going to do today, God? Are you going to work or are you going to not allow me to get better. And so 
I get the doorbell ring, and I answer it. And who's standing there? P.S. God is again working in my life, even with my sarcastic prayers. And it's the nurse. And I said, what are you doing here? My insurance isn't going to pay you. You're only allowed three times a week. You're not supposed to come. She said, I don't care. Let me in. And I let her in. And she looks at me and calls the doctor again. And again, I manipulate him and tell him I'll see him in the morning. I said to the nurse, do you mind? I said, um... The tape you put on yesterday, it's really hurting me. Do you mind checking the dressing today before you leave? And she said, no problem. I was in the living room. As I stood up, and I'm on this machine attached to me, uh, as I stood up, she stood next to me, and whatever was causing my sepsis exploded. Now, normally, I would have been alone that Sunday morning in my apartment, and I don't know if I would have known what to do. I know I wouldn't have, and I would have freaked out and panicked because fear was a big thing I was battling. And she said, relax, I'm with you, and escorted me back to bed and examined the wound, and it was an ugly wound. And she repacked and redressed me and put me back on a clean machine. That young woman left my apartment, and I never saw her again. To this day, I can't even remember her name. I spent the rest of the day crying and apologizing to God because I thought he had abandoned me and I had abandoned him. That was the reality. I had closed the door. He wanted to work in my life and I would not let him in. It was only through his loving persistence that I was able to recover physically and let this wound close and go to a family gathering where I met a friend of my niece's who I did not know was an anorexic and bulimic who spoke to me. She had the nerve to come over. As I was on my second dessert, And I said to her, oh, sit down, have a piece of cake. And she said, not today, Carmela. And I said, oh, please, you're one of those nuts. I said, I'm going to pay and weigh, and I can eat just one treat. And once a week, I'm allowed. And she said, no, I'm sorry to tell you. You're a compulsive overeater. And I said, I am not. Absolutely not. And she talked to me about the doctor's opinion. 
She told me about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And she hooked me. She hooked me, and I am so grateful because she told me, you need to come to a meeting. You need to buy this book. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. You need to read it because there's no way you can do this on your own. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm powerful. I can just eat one treat at night. I work my points, so I allow myself one treat. And she said, really? And and you could stop at just one? You see, I wasn't telling her the whole truth. She didn't know that the entire day I was fantasizing about when I could have that one treat. Uh, That was my secret. All day long I dreamed about it. It owned my mind. The food owned me. But she hooked me with the doctor's opinion, and I did agree to go to a meeting. I went to a meeting that she suggested, and unfortunately, or fortunately, one or the other, um, because it is double-edged, I sat next to a young lady, and uh, the meeting was not discussing the book. I brought my book with me. Very studious I was, and um, everyone was kind of just sitting around griping about their families and their life, and I, I raised my hand and I said, excuse me, but I thought we were going to talk about this book I was told to buy and the allergy and the obsession. I knew, and um, I, I, I read this book, and I'm not stupid. I have credentials, uh-huh. um, but I, I don't quite understand it. And they kind of threw daggers at me because I was interrupting their conversation. And this young woman sitting next to me, and I still have the slip of paper, wrote a Vision for You's number on it. And she told me to call in. Well, I saved that number. And instead, instead of calling right away, I went off to another meeting. And it was a step meeting. And the first thing that I was going to do was I was going to go on one little visit prior to going to that meeting. That meeting was going to occur on a Sunday. So you know how we like to have one last binge before we go out, you know, we're going to be so deprived, such pathetic things that I was, I was so, I didn't want to be deprived of my sweets, so I went down the shore to visit my oldest brother and his family, and I did bring my pay and way abstinent food with me. But on the way, in the back of my mind, I knew what I was going to do. I stopped, and I was so generous. I bought all 
food for my family, and I made them a beautiful lunch. And while I had my abstinent food packed and ready, I was preparing their lunch. And I fixed it up so beautifully. And I said, hmm, the hell with it. Tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. Now God is working in my life. I open the door, and it's a beautiful sunny day in July. July 22nd, 2013. And I step out to bring the food onto the patio where they were all sitting with the idea that I was going to sink my teeth into this food. And I hear a voice in my head as I step into the sunshine. And the voice clearly said, No more, Carmela. No more. It is today. And when I tell you that, my fellows, I can feel the chills run through my body because that was the first day of my life. July 22nd, 2013. And I went to the step meeting here in the city that Sunday and I met a woman who lost close to 200 pounds. And I thought, She had what I wanted. So I followed her in the room. I listened to the step meeting. I took her number, and I asked her to be my sponsor. And for six months, she sponsored me. But the reality was, she was not a big book person. And I was white-knuckling galore. I didn't know how long I could hold on. And the worst white-knuckling that I ever experienced was Christmas Eve of 2013 when I was with my entire family at my nephew's house. And I was literally running from room to room to get away from the food. The food was all over the place. I don't know if any of you can appreciate an Italian family Christmas Eve, but there is nothing that you cannot have at your beck and call that night. There was food everywhere. And I was six months abstinent and white-knuckling this program, but I was not using the steps. I had to literally run down the basement and stay with the children and play with them just to get away from the food. My fists were clenched the whole time. I called Vision in January of 2014, and there was a beautiful woman who I spoke with, another nurse, from Delaware, and she told me, you are white-knuckling. If you don't get a step sponsor and work those steps, you're going to pick up. 
And so I did. I went and I got a step sponsor. And I started working these steps. And I found a young woman who was a gift in my life who brought me through these steps. And we went through this book rapidly. And to this day, I have never been picking up or wanting to pick up except once. And that was on my fourth anniversary. And that's when the obsession was kicking in again. Even though I had surrendered and I had worked the steps on my fourth year of program, I went to a meeting to celebrate. And when we speak of the obsession of the mind and how God must relieve that, even if we're not introducing the allergy, this is a prime example, and I didn't even know what it was. I went to the meeting. I announced my anniversary. They called me up to get my coin, and they said, how many years? And I said, four. Very proud, you know. And... They didn't have a four-year coin. So I sat back down and smiled. But the seething, all of those feelings came up. I wasn't getting accolades. I wasn't getting acknowledged. And therefore, I took myself from the meeting. There's a store here in Manhattan that sells everything you ever need as an addict coins, books, whatever, and I went to the store. I said, I'll fix them. I'll buy my own coin. You see, things were important to me in those days. And I go to the store and I ask the man for a four-year OA coin. Oh, certainly. And he takes the box down. Oh, I don't have any. Oh, again. So now... I'm clenching my fist, and I'm saying, hmm, I'll fix all of them. I'll go eat. I'll go to the bakery. And I said, no, God, please, God, please help me. God, please help me not pick up today. And I maintained my abstinence, and I asked him again that night, please let me go to sleep tonight, abstinent, and let me wake up in the morning and know what it is That's driving me because I don't know God. And when I woke up the next morning, and as I do to this day, I acknowledge him and I greet him and I thank him for allowing me to awaken. And I realized it was lack of accolades, lack of recognition, My ego, it needed to be smashed a little bit more. And I thanked him, and I laughed at my stupidity. And I had a beautiful day, and I was peaceful. And the way I can tell you that he works, he works in every single step. Once we surrender... He had allowed me. Now, remember, 
I was 68 years old when I had to do my inventory in step four. That's a lot of inventory, baby. How was I going to remember all this stuff? So I prayed, and I said, God, not with my robot prayers. I said, God, please, let me know what it is I need to dig out. Let my heart be open. Get in there. Let me be honest. And he allowed all this stuff to bubble up. And I put it down on the paper, and I turned it over. So I did step four and five, and he walked me through it. And then I thought, foolishly again, oh, I'll turn over my defects, and he'll take them away. That's what the book says. And I did. I acknowledged my defects for the first time. And I had a long list, baby. And... They weren't gone. I was still gossiping and thriving on it. And I didn't understand. So fortunately, one day, I also attend AA meetings with the fellows here in Manhattan. Well, there's no more face-to-face, but now we're Zooming. I do a step in a big book meeting with the AA fellows because they really have it. They have taught me so much. And... um I heard one of them speak. He has since deceased, but he was a fine man. He was an attorney, and he talked about step six. And he said how every single day on his commute from Long Island into the city uh, to Wall Street, he would do another defect and give it to God and ask God just for that day to remove it. And that's when I learned that the defects get removed, not in Carmela's time, but in God's time. And then I learned about gratitude because a grateful heart doesn't pick up. And I am extremely grateful to everything that I have learned in this program and to the love that I have received And everything, when I do a step eight and nine, my amends, the acceptance that I got, even though my one amends was not received real well, but I was still free. I made the amends. That's what mattered. God walked me through it and let me realize. When I do my 10th step and he takes it from me immediately and as our wonderful wisdom of one of our fellows that's on this line, he says, and why do you think God will take it? Because he loves you and wants you to be happy. And I know that in every being of every single cell in my old body. I know it and I feel it. And when I do a step 11 at night, I have a relationship. I truly want to open my heart and thank God for the gift of another day and review my day and be honest with myself. And when I offer service, it's not my service. I'm only a vehicle that God uses. He gives me 
such thoughts when I work with sponsees. I learn to listen instead of chattering in my head the way I used to. It is such a gift, and I'm able to focus and concentrate and maybe direct them in the right direction and know when to let them go free and work their program and have their direct connection to their higher power as they understand him. These are the gifts that I get and that I'm grateful for every single day these last seven and a half years. But the gift, the gift that I treasure most is that I'm able to live the program, live it and make it real. And the biggest gift, the miracles that he gave me, besides being cancer-free and the night my heart paused long enough that it stopped and found a cardiologist that is now treating me for that. And the fact that he allowed me to lose 175 pounds, those are all beautiful gifts that I'm grateful for. But the biggest gift is that my second son that I never had, but he is like a son I never had. He's 42 now, and in his 30s, he was addicted to alcohol and cocaine, and I dragged him all over this city with me when I entered program, and I wanted him to get it so badly, and he couldn't. That frothy emotional appeal, it didn't work with my parents' love for me, and it couldn't work for him. He had to have his own open heart, and he had to allow his own God in. And I stopped dragging him, and I stopped bargaining with him. And today, today, he is three and a half years clean. And he is a joy. Every morning as he drives to work, he calls me and we talk program. And he has a sponsor. And he's in Narcotics Anonymous. And his sponsor today, I was invited, but I had to not attend. It's going to be in an open air park. And the sponsor is celebrating his anniversary. And his sponsor If any of you would think and look at him on the outside, you'd say, oh, I'm staying away from that character. He's kind of scary. He's a motorcycle guy with the tattoos and did hard time in jail. But he is the most loving, kind man that I have ever met. And it was only through this program that I was exposed to these wonderful people. And it was through this program that I was able to get through and the love and care of God that got me through COVID. I had two doctors that I worked with and cared about so much. They were on ventilators, and I trusted God, and I begged him, please allow them to live. And they're off ventilators, and they're back practicing. One of my fellows in... in Work, she passed. She passed due to complications of COVID. 
and she was only 56. And I went to her funeral on the 30th of July. And for some reason, she is now at peace, I'm sure. And I don't understand why she's gone, but that's not for Carmela to understand. I've given up questioning God. And then I had seven family members, my niece, her husband, her son, daughter-in-law, and grandchildren all got COVID. And I prayed, and this day, they are all healthy and survived it. So I am extremely grateful for this power. And I am able to admit that my problems were all of my own making, all of my own making, because I blocked God so much, so much. But the promise that on page 89, that life will take on new meaning, to watch people recover to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow about me. That is what I have today. And that is what my life is like. And I'm not telling you life is easy. No, it is not. And it's not going to stop. But I don't try to control it anymore because I know where to go. I go to the power that's greater than I, and I trust him implicitly. And when I'm frightened, I know he's holding me, and I tell him in my own words, I'm frightened, please don't push me off the edge. And I feel him hold me, and I know he's there. And I know it because I have my fellows that all of a sudden they'll call me and they'll tell me something marvelous and get me out of myself and remind me of my gratitude. And every day on my gratitude list I write, faith in God includes faith in his charming. Because today I'm not the Carmela that has to have the instant gratification on my time. I know that God knows what he's doing. And I know that I still have wants and desires. But I have to wait. I have to give them to him. And I have to ask him, if you see fit, in your great wisdom, if you see fit, allow that to happen. Allow my boys to be safe. I used to drill things into them and command their performance. I no longer do that. They are free. I was given choice by God, and I must give everyone else free choice. And with free choice, as our speaker at our last convention said, comes consequences. My consequences, I can live with. Yeah, my legs are still swollen and I have scars, but I'm alive. I'm abstinent. I'm grateful. I'm cancer-free. 
And I am grateful. And with that, my fellows, I have learned to love, may not like some things, but love and give freely. And I pass. Thank you so much, Carmela, for sharing your remarkable story of transformation with all of us this morning. Truly an inspiring and profound story of the results of the work of the 12 steps and a relationship with God. Very profound. Thank you so much. Today's share ID, 15,436. That's 15436 for this presentation. Carmela's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now take the remainder time for question and answers. So if you have a question for Carmela, please press star one to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Wendy B. Wendy B. Maria F. Maria F. Sandy V. Sandy B. All right, let's get started with these three, beginning with Mindy B. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't get unmuted. Um, this is Wendy B. I'm recovered in Arizona. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Carmela. That was beautiful. And um, so you got so many, uh, so much meaning and accolades from your job, um, and I do too. So, so I can relate to it. And then, so when you quit your job, and um, it didn't seem like you got another one. So, like you just got had to go through so many physical um, ailments and stuff. So, um, so. You know, I've heard, you know, that we now turn to God for our meaning and our accolades, you know, and and so I was wondering, you know, how that was working for you, you know, to no longer have your identity and your functioning and your scheduling, you know, as a nurse, um, how that how that was working for you. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy, so much. That's an interesting question. You're making me smile. Because when I handed in my papers of resignation, it was interesting that many of my staff said to me, wow, you're going to have a new life. And you are more than what you are here. And I didn't quite understand that because at the age of 13, I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And that was my life. I, I enjoyed it. That career was so fulfilling. But you see, if I didn't resign that position, I would not be here today because I would not have a life. I would be dead from the cancer because I had no symptoms. And I would have continued eating. And I know that my eating was the primary probably cause, one of the causes, not the primary, but one of the causes of the cancer, because sugar feeds cancer. 
and I would have never noticed until it was way too late. Because I can tell you that assuredly, because I know three or four of my colleagues had the same cancer, and they are all dead. And I stand here today alive at the age of 75 soon. And according to my oncologist that I just saw, healthy. So there was much more to life than my profession, but I was thinking that was only it because that allowed me to be Madam Full Charge. I could be the boss, and my identity now is as a human being who's out there. There is not, my family some days cannot find me. There is not enough of time in a day that I'm not busy. I do volunteer with a group of women who provide services and care for mothers and babies. So I use my skills in that aspect, and that's as a volunteer. I work a program, and I work a program hard. And that takes up a lot of time. But I have the ability to do that because I'm not outside working at a job. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Wendy B., for your question. Maria F., your turn. Hi, this is Maria F. Um, thanks so much, Carmela. That was absolutely fabulous. It was a great presentation. Um, just my question is, you spoke, Carmela, about having faith before you um, came into OA and you, um, you spoke about you know, that faith not being enough to bring about a surrender. And I'm just wondering what your practice in that faith today, because it sounds very different in recovery. I'm just wondering about your practices in that faith today that nourishes that. If you could just uh, share a bit on that. Thanks, Carmela. Ah, thanks so much, Maria. I love, you know, this year, if COVID wasn't here, I'd be in Ireland this year. I was going to take two of my great nieces because that's one country I haven't been to and I would love to see it. So I greatly appreciate your question. Um, thank you so much. Um, yes, I, I have kept the same faith, but as someone on this line taught me, this program enhances our faith. And Appendix 5 in the big book speaks to that. And it was a person on this program that suggested that I read that appendix. And so I did. And it was an eye-opener. Um, and it's so funny because this is a faith of my childhood, and my brother and I went to the same schooling. Um, it was private schooling, and we practiced the same faith. And this program, through my clarity today, makes me understand things that I never understood before. And I call him up and I say, Joe, did you know? And I rattle something off. And he says, where have you been? 
We learned that in grammar school. But you see, I wasn't present. I was in the food. So the enlightenment and everything that's coming to pass has taken on such a new meaning and has added to the joy in my life. So I hope that answers your question, and thank you again so much. Thank you, Maria F. Sandy V., your turn. Star one to unmute. Thank you so much, Carmela. Oh, my gosh. What a powerful, powerful, heartfelt presentation of what God can do when we're willing. And my question today is, what is your practice and your routine? Well, maybe not a routine, but what is your practice in um, practicing gratitude when difficult things come up? And do you have a journal? Do you write daily? So I was just wondering. Thank you, Sandy. Um, My daily practice is as soon as I open my eyes, and I I learned this from a speaker on an AA podcast um, about a design for living. As this speaker said, God interrupted my death. So um, she shared, and she also, I guess all these speakers that I listen to are older, and she also passed on. Um, and she, um, she said as soon as she opens her eyes in the morning, she thanks God and greets him and invites him in. And that is her design for living. And I do the same. And um, on this line also was suggested that at that time, maybe we do a prayer and open up the communication with God and then maybe meditate. You know, it's not easy always to be quiet and let God talk to us. And so I do stay quiet a few minutes before I get out of bed after greeting him and speaking with him a bit. And then I remain silent and um, see if there's any messages that he has for me. And then I get up. Some days there are things that are very difficult to do, and I really don't want to do them. But if I'm driven by a power greater than myself to put one foot in front of the other and go do that work, then I do it. I follow my instructions of my new director. And at the end of the day, it never fails. I am so grateful because the outcome usually is very positive. That's how I live my life on a daily basis. And as I said, on a daily basis, I write that statement on top of my gratitude list before I begin. Faith in God, 
is faith in his timing. So I have to be patient and trusting every single day, no matter what the situation, difficult or not. And I hope that answers you. Thank you very much, Sandy, for the question. Who else has a question for Carmela? Press star one to unmute. Diane H. in Michigan. Diane H. Who else is there? Simone J. in Florida. Simone. Great opportunity. Pose questions to a recovered compulsive overeater. Carmela. Okay, Diane H., why don't you ask your question? Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. This is Diane H. in Michigan, Compulsive Overeater. What a wonderful share. Um, I just am so grateful to hear everything you went through and how you came out the other side. My question, um, you said it near the end that um, you discovered your ego still needed to be smashed. Um, Could you expand on that a little bit, how you came to that awareness and then what you did to further smash your ego, please? Thank you so much, Diane. That's an interesting um, question because at one point, uh, one of my sponsees um, who lives a pretty good distance from me, uh, when we would work the book, I would remind her, you know, book says we have to smash our egos. And she said, could you just send me a hammer? And that would be so easy if we could just do it. But what happens is we're living life. We are human. We are human. We want applause. We want to feel good. And where do we get that from? We get that from our peers, from our family, from our friends, usually other humans. And when I attended the meeting, now it's a human thing that they don't have the coin to give me. They didn't pick on Carmela. Oh, we're just not going to give her the coin. They didn't know I had four years and wanted my coin to show proof. Who am I proving it to? If I truly were humble and realized that I didn't need any applause, I didn't need any coin, because the primary love of my life, the one who gives me perfect love, knows what's in my heart before I even let it come out my mouth. So that whole day... I gave myself angst 
because I wanted that human uplift. Clap! Hooray! Hooray for Carmella! And the thought that came into my mind the morning after I almost picked up that day when my ego was bruised, and I didn't realize what it was. It was a whole day of clenching my fist and wanting vengeance. And I kept giving it back to God, giving it back to God and asking him to open my mind as to what is driving me. What is this being so driven? The reality was I had no humility. I was taking on the idea that I could do this on my own. Imagine, how could this be possible four years in program and I don't realize I'm powerless? And the thought that came in my mind that morning, the next morning when I woke up, was, Carmela, remember when you were a child and you used to count all your birthday cards. Oh, this means they all love me. Look, they all sent me cards. They all gave me presents. I reverted back to that child in that moment at the meeting when they didn't have the coin and then when I went to the store and they didn't have the coin in stock. I reverted right back to that child. And I wanted my accolades. And that's how I, re- how I acknowledged that I needed to work on my humility and smash that ego. Because like Bill, I was an I-I-I person. It was all about me. And let me tell you about me, and it's not in program. It is not about me. It's about what our higher power does through us. How he uses us. How we can be of service to our fellows. And primarily to him. And that is what I do every single day in program. And that is how I keep my ego in check because I can do nothing. And I prove that by nearly killing myself. So I hope that answers you. And thank you so much. Thank you, Diane H., for that question. Next up, Simone J. Thank you Simone. so much. That was yep. mm-hmm. Hi, this is Simone from Florida. Thank you. This was um so helpful. Um I just wanted to double check with you um that I got this um correct. Did you say that um well two things. One is um could you tell me what page appendix five that you were referring to? Is that the spiritual experience? Um and no. the other question oh. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and the other question I just wanted to ask is you said something about writing on the top of your page every day, facing God is facing his timing. 
Is that what you said? Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Um, the appendix is is not um, the spiritual experience. It is in the back. Uh, uh, the spiritual experience is appendix two, and this is five seventy two. It's appendix five. The religious view on AA. Got that? And what I write is faith. Yes, thank you. Faith in God is faith in his timing. Because I always wanted things in my timing. So if I truly am faithful to a power greater than myself, then I have to trust that in his time, he will provide, always provide me what I need. And with that, Thank you I, so much. I appreciate okay. it. I'm glad I asked because I thought you said facing as in, you know, F-A-C-I-E-N-G. <laughs> so thank you. I-T-H. Sorry about that. <laughs> no. Thank you, Simone J. And we have time for probably one more question. Anyone else with a question Polly on B. their mind? Nina R. Holly B. Nina R. Okay, let's give it a try here. Thanks, Polly Lila. B, go ahead with your question. Sure. Thank you for your service. Thank you, everyone. And Carmela, thank you. This is Polly B. And um, you have me um, laughing, crying, and sometimes both with your story. And I really appreciate that you shared it with us and your recovery. So I'm a big shot, and uh, I think I know a lot. And I um, have had some ego reduction surgery. So I was wondering in everyday life if you could give me some pointers on how you deal with such simple things like people who refuse to wear masks or wash their hands these days. Thank you, Pass. Ah, oh, that's interesting, especially the nurse in me, because I was a proponent of washing your hands long before COVID. Um, when our babies, the nurse in me, when our babies would come home from the hospital, on their cribs and bassinets, I used to put signs, big posters, do not touch me unless you wash your hands. So that was um, a big factor in my life. And um, I see people not wearing masks. I do know um, from an infection control standpoint that that is the recommendation indoors. And, um, but I even respect people on the streets in the city of New York some of the streets are crowded, so I even wear my mask as I'm walking there. And there are some people who do not. And I look at them, and I just walk to the other side of the street. Remember, Polly, it's my actions. I can so, do hi, nothing. Hi. <laughs> just sorry to interrupt, but let's get back to compulsive overeating, which is why we're here, okay? That's an outside issue. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah. 
It's a matter of acceptance. Acceptance and keeping our side of the street clean. Thank you, Carmela. Excellent. And we'll ask for our final question this morning from Nina R. Hi, Kamala. Thank you so much for your story. Uh, this is Nina R. from New York. Uh, I think we live in adjacent neighborhoods, actually. How do you sponsor your sponsees, especially if they're seasoned program people, like have been in program for decades? I'm just curious. Um, is it I need to clarify, Nina, um, are they people who are in program for many years and relapsed or? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or, or never really went through the steps using the big book. Okay. Either way, I I go through the book with them. That's how I sponsor. And um, the reality is uh, I recently had a sponsee who, when I entered program, she was in recovery. And I, 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 was, I had her on that pedestal. And as I progressed in my program, she regressed and relapsed. And... Um, it was years. I watched her gain all her weight back, and um, I, I called her. She chose not to answer my calls, and um, just this March, she called and asked if I would sponsor her, and after I gave it up to my higher power, I um, agreed that it would be the right thing, and we worked the book, and now she's someone who went through the steps. If you look at her book, Every the promises are underlined in a certain color and this and this and this. So she had gone through the steps. But you see, going through the steps are one thing. It's like my prayers. I used to pray before program, but I call them robotic prayers. The reality is we have to let it all sink in. It has to get into us. It has to run through our veins. And so I sponsored her, and today she is sponsoring, and she admitted to me that she had never experienced what she's experiencing today um, because today she gets it. But I don't take credit for that. I believe now she was truly ready for her higher power to do the work within her. And the openness was there. And I was just the vehicle to get her through. And we worked that book. And that's the way she got through. So I hope that answers you. Thank you, Nina R., for your question. Thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Carmela, heartful of gratitude for sharing your profound story of transformation this morning, offering a message of hope and possibility. Again, the share ID 15,436. 
and we're going to close now from page 164. You'll notice that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. Answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you.